Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 6, 5 through 13. This can be found on page 1504 in your pew Bibles. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. And thank you, Elise, for bringing us God's word this morning. We are in the midst of a series on the topic of prayer, and uh, last Sunday we looked at the topic of praying for things. Uh, This morning I want to look at the topic of praying for God as it comes to us in Matthew 6. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, early on in, uh, in my ministry I was given the task of establishing a small group ministry at the uh, church I was working at. And so I promoted small groups as a place uh, for people to study God's word, as a place to share their lives with each other, and and especially as a place to pray for, for one another. And I was surprised by the pushback that, that I received, not just about small groups, but pretty much about one thing in particular, and that was the idea of praying together. It was pushback about praying. Some of the older folk, um, particularly the women, came to me and said that, that if they would be expected to pray in front of the other members of the group and to pray out loud, um, they would not be joining. They, they couldn't do it. Now, I thought a lot about <clears throat> what was driving that kind of resistance. And, and I'm sure there were lots of different reasons. And I think probably one large reason was that many of these women had been raised in a tradition where the men were really the spiritual leaders of the family and, and of the church. And so, you know, it was the men who prayed around the dinner table and it was the men who prayed at, at consistory and deacon meetings and those types of things. It wasn't the women. And so, in a certain regard, they hadn't done much of this before. But I think Another reason why there might have been that kind of hesitancy, and it wasn't just with the women, I think it might have had something to do here with Matthew chapter 6, because it almost sounds here as if Jesus is speaking out against public prayer. Doesn't it? I mean, he seems to be saying that, okay, I don't want you to pray out on the street corners where other people are going to see you or, or hear you. And I don't want you to to pray if you stand up in the synagogues among your fellow believers. That's not the place 
for, for you to be praying. It almost sounds as if he's speaking against prayer that's offered in front of other, other individuals. Now, imagine what that kind of thinking would mean for us. I mean, as a congregation, I mean, that would mean that we are disobeying uh, Christ in a lot of areas, right? I mean, I just prayed um, in front of all of us, but for all of us. We pray at meetings. We pray at life groups. Kids pray in their Sunday school classes and their youth groups, all of those kinds of things. I don't think that Jesus here is actually condemning public prayer, which is a, a good thing. He is condemning hypocrisy. Okay? He's condemning hypocrisy here. He's condemning the practice of praying for people rather than to God. He's, he's condemning the practice of praying for an audience rather than lifting up prayers solely to God. In other words, he's condemning public private devotion. Does that make sense? He's condemning public private devotion. He's condemning piety that's directed toward God, but also toward people. And, and you and I are familiar with this kind of thing, right? We, we encounter it whenever we sit down in a restaurant, and the question is, all right, do I pray before my meal or not? And, uh, and we have this idea or hope that somehow if I, if I bow my head and pray to God, we have this hope that my personal devotion to God might also serve as a witness to the people around me, right? But that's exactly what Jesus is speaking about. He says, you've got to be very careful about this sort of thing because prayer is intended for God. It's not intended for the people around you. And we have other subtle ways of sort of, uh, of, sort of um, you know, declaring our private devotion in public, right? We have ways of dropping little lines in our conversation, like in my quiet time this morning, this is what happened, right? Or, or uh, last night in prayer, this is what the Lord showed me. And it's sort of a way of putting out in public what really was meant to be private. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is actually condemning. It's piety or prayer that on the surface is directed toward God, but in reality is directed toward other people. It's not public prayer itself that Jesus is condemning. In fact, in no way is he condemning public prayer. But neither is Jesus saying that public prayer is enough. Okay? He's not saying that public prayer is enough. And sometimes I think the pendulum has swung completely in the other direction. If you think of that, that, that small group ministry and the people I was trying to get, get involved in public prayer there, the pendulum has almost swung in the other direction where our kids today grow up doing so much public prayer and we do so much public prayer that it, it almost gets to the point where we could discard private prayer. And I think Jesus is advising against that. In fact, Jesus is here encouraging private prayer. He's encouraging prayer in your room, in that secret place, prayer when you are all alone. You see, private prayer, in many ways, is putting our theology into practice. That's what 
private prayer can be, putting our theology into practice. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's think about today, right? Today is Ascension Sunday. The Heidelberg Catechism says or asks this question about the Ascension. How does Christ's Ascension into heaven benefit us? And the very first answer it gives is this. Jesus pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. Okay? That's what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. He's pleading our cause before the Father. Jesus intercedes for us. He advocates for us. Now, I think that we often perceive this intercession in a certain way. We kind of have this picture of Jesus standing before, before his Father in heaven. And, um, and he says something like, you know, Peter messed up again today. He got mad at that driver who cut him off and said a few words he probably shouldn't have said. And please, please, please forgive him, Father. That's sometimes the idea that we have of what it means that Jesus is, is interceding for us in heaven. That's really not what's going on. The ascended Jesus, okay, who laid down his own life as a sacrifice for our lives is before God in heaven. He has risen from the dead. And what that meant when God raised him from the dead, what that meant is that God had accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. Okay? God said, this is good. This is enough. This is good. And now Jesus stands before his Father in heaven and he basically reminds the Father of the fact that he has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf already. And so what he says is, Father, yeah, Peter screwed up again, okay? But I paid for his sins. You punished me for his sins already. And so you can't punish him again. That would not be just. That would not be righteous. Rather, look at him as if he were me. And listen to his prayers as if his prayers were my prayers. That's how Jesus pleads our cause in heaven. He does not despise our flesh, the flesh of humanity, but he brings it into the presence of God. And so, every time we enter God's presence in prayer and with the confidence that he will actually listen to us, right, we're putting our theology into practice. We are testifying that we now have access to God through Jesus Christ. That's what prayer is. It's a testimony. It's a confession that I have access to God because of what Jesus has done for me. Not everybody has that. Okay? Think about this. What does Jesus say about the prayers of the pagans in our text? What does he say about the prayers of those who don't know the truth about God? Verse 7, he says, They think that they will be heard because of their many words. Now that's a whole different religious system. They think that they will be heard because of their many words. What he's saying is that they believe it's those words and how many of them there are that actually give them access to God. That God listens to them because they're putting forth so much effort. 
or because they're putting so much time into him, or they're speaking with such eloquence, or they just know how to butter God up. But it's on the basis of those many words that they think the deity actually listens to us. Jesus nails or hits the nail on the head here, friends. I mean, think about the religions around us. Muslim prayers. Think about Muslim prayers. Those are prayers that have to be repeated five times a day at that appointed time, appointed place. Hindu and Buddhist prayers are based on that same principle, the principle of repetition. You have to repeat certain words and sounds and syllables over and over and over again. And in some cases, if you repeat them enough, you actually find that you are the deity that you are praying to. Okay, but it's a totally different religious system. It's based on repetition. It's based on much. How much do I have to offer up to God that he will actually listen to me? And Jesus says that God listens to us not because we have much, but because God is much. God hears us because of his own goodness, because of his own mercy, because of the work of Jesus Christ, finished, completed on the cross. But friends, that is just a belief. It's a belief that I have access to God through Christ it's just a belief until we actually act on it. It's just something that's floating around in our minds. Prayer is actually taking the step of putting that faith into action. You see, I believe I have access to God, but I still have to step take that step into his presence. I have to act on that faith. That's what prayer is all about. And friends, I've got to step into God's presence alone. Now you're probably wondering, well, why, why do you add that little word? Why do you add that word alone? Why do I have to step into God's presence alone? Well, think about this. In public prayer or in group prayer, we can begin to trust or to believe that God listens to us or that God hears us not based on the access that I have been given but on the basis of the access that God has given to the people around me. When you're a child, you might believe, well, God listens to us because of my parents' faith, because they've been given access. Or you might think in your life group, well, God listens to me here because of the access that God has given my life group leader. You see, it's so easy to look around the group and say, well, of course God's going to listen to them, and as he's listening to them, maybe he'll listen to me too. It's a different experience when we go to God alone. When we step into his presence on our own, in private prayer, because now I have to believe that God has given me access. That he will actually listen to me 
based on what Jesus Christ has done. And so private prayer really tests, tests our faith on a couple of levels. First, it tests my own faith in God's acceptance of me. If you don't ever spend time in private prayer, I think you need to ask yourself why. And is, could this possibly be the reason? That while you believe that you know, God has given access to all these other people in the church through Jesus Christ, you're still wondering, but is it okay for me to go into his presence? You know, Jesus, in that a um, couple weeks ago, we talked about another parable from, from Luke. And uh, Jesus says something like, you know, even you fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And, and you wonder why he threw that word in there, that word evil. It's a word really that we know about ourselves, don't we? That we are evil people. We sin. We're not kind. We're not gracious. We break God's law in so many ways. And, and when we do that, right, after I've just committed that kind of sin against my God or against my neighbor, are you really eager to rush into God's presence in prayer? Or are you too embarrassed? Are you thinking, ah, I'm not good enough to go to God in prayer? See, this is what we're talking about. It's, it's in private prayer when you're willing to go to your Father in heaven, no matter what, and you claim, I can be here not because I'm good, I'm evil, but I can be here because Jesus has given me access. That's how private prayer sort of tests our faith in that way. But further, private prayer also, I think, gauges our, our love and our desire for, for God. See, the question here is, I may believe that I have access to God, but how often do I actually want to be with Him? How often do I take advantage of the access that I have and, and go into his presence. Look, look at verse 6. Jesus says, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. And what Jesus is saying there is you need private prayer. Okay? Public prayer isn't enough. You also need private prayer. And it's got to do with, I think, motivation, our motivation for prayer. The room that, that Jesus is talking about here, um, it isn't your bedroom. The Greek word uh, for the Greek word that Jesus uses here is for the storeroom of the house. So a poor Palestinian um, farmer, they if they were lucky enough, they would have one house or one room in the house that, that would be the storeroom, and just because that was where anything that was valuable that they had, they would put in that storeroom. Okay, so. It would, kind of be in the center of the house where you would actually have to walk past other people to get into it. It was a room that didn't have any windows and it was probably the only room in the house that was locked, that you could actually lock. It's that place that Jesus is saying, I want you to go into that place and, and pray. Why is that? Well, 
because it's there that no one else can see what you're doing. No one's going to see what you're doing in that room. Like I said, this gets at the motivation for our prayers. What do you do when you're in that room? What do you do when you're in that place that no one else can see you? No one else has a clue what you're doing. You know, out of all the spiritual disciplines that, that people of God practice, um, this is the only one where, where no one else around you has any clue whether you do it or not. No one has a clue around here, around you, whether you actually spend time in private prayer or not. You are the only one who knows that, you and God. So are, are you doing it? When you're all alone, when you're waiting in the doctor's office, okay, do you pray or do you read those little posters about um, good heart health and diabetes and things like that? When you're waiting in line for your vaccination, when you're stuck in traffic, when you're mindlessly walking up and down the yard with your lawnmower, are you taking advantage of that private time to pray? Do you use it as a chance to visit with your Father in Heaven? You see, friends, one sign, one sign, it's not the only sign, but one sign that you have a growing and intimate relationship with God is that you actually want to spend time with Him. And more than that, you do spend time with Him. Regularly. Corporate prayer is different in that regard. There are, there are other motivations for us to pray when we're in a group. Okay? There's, there's for instance, in your, in your life group, there's some peer pressure there, right? There's some peer pressure for you to join in the prayer. Or if somebody asks you to pray before a committee meeting, it's kind of hard just to say, well, no, I'd rather not. Um, there is other pressures in, in public groups. Um, there's a certain exhilaration or joy that comes with praying uh, with a group. Hopefully, you know, that's what you'll find on Thursday night. But when you're all alone, there, there isn't any of that. Those motivations aren't there. The only motivation when you're all alone in that private place is the goodness of God. We hear that phrase often, right? We love God. Why? Because He first loved us. Well, Oftentimes, you need to spend some time thinking about how God first loved us before you're motivated to love Him, before you're motivated to spend some time with Him in prayer. You know, last week, I was, I was driving home from work, <clears throat> and um, I passed a little boy who was riding his bike. And he wasn't riding to someplace. He wasn't riding to get to school. He wasn't riding to the park. He was just riding his bike. He was in his driveway, actually, which wasn't much bigger than, than this platform. And he was going round and round in circles. 
He wasn't getting anywhere, but he was really enjoying himself. You could tell. See, he loved riding his bike just for the joy of riding his bike. As adults, we don't do that too much anymore, do we? I mean, we ride always to get somewhere. We ride to get to work. We ride to get to the store. We ride to get um, a cardiovascular workout. It's always riding for something. We've forgotten how to just ride for fun, how to just ride for the enjoyment of the bike. How often do you simply just pray for God? Just pray to, to enjoy Him, to just be with Him. You know, our natural selves, our sinful natural selves, we pray to God to get things. Right? God is sort of the way to get what our hearts really treasure. And so we pray to God to get happiness, We pray to God to get success. We pray to God to have good social relationships. We pray to God to get an uncomplicated life. We pray to get things, not to get God. And that only changes, friends. It only changes when we begin to consider how God loved us first. When we begin to see that, you know, all our lives we've been mired in in forms of self-salvation. We needed those things to save us. We needed those things to give us value, to make life worth living. And it's only when we come to understand the astonishing, costly work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, it's only then that our motivation to pray actually changes. It's only when we stop praying for things and start praying for God, who is the source of all good things. It's only then that we transfer our our trust and our hope from things to God. It's only then that we see things for what they are. And we see God for what He is and for who He is. And only then do we truly love Him for who He is. Um, One last thing, some of us are, are probably finding this really hard. The thought of spending time with God in a private room, sometimes it just sounds like time wasted. And it's because when we get in that private room, our minds are always going to what's outside of that room. Our minds go to the trouble that's going on in our kids' marriage. Our minds go to to COVID ravaging India. Our minds go to what's going on outside of here. And all we can think about is those disciples, right, staring up into heaven as Jesus was going up. And then the angels come and they say, what are you staring up for? 
Shouldn't you be doing something? Shouldn't you be like focused on the earth and what's going on around here? Who's got time to be locked in a quiet room? <clears throat> and yet, friends, before those disciples could go back to Jerusalem, they had to see Jesus go. They had to see him go up. They had to see him take up his throne in heaven. Before they could take up their work, they had to see that his work was accomplished. And that any work that we do is only a continuation of his work. Before we can pray for things, before we can work on things, we too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have to set our hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. By the blood of Jesus, we've been given access. In the blood of Jesus, God has shown us his love. And only in remembering the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ are we prepared to go back to Jerusalem and pray and work for his kingdom. So learn to spend time in private prayer. And let's pray now. Lord our God, we, we bow before you because we are about to come to your table. And this too is a table that we have been invited to. It's a table that we've been given access to purely through the work of Jesus Christ himself. It's only by his work. It's only by his blood. But it's here that we are reminded that you are God, that you have done it all, and we are your people. We are your servants. We pause now to give you thanks for valuing us as human beings, for taking us to yourself, for treating us like kings around your table, and sending us off as servants in your world. Lord, may we express these things often and think and consider often in prayer your goodness and your love for us, which always came first. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat>